get a therapist or I'm going to kick your you know what. I mean, but to me, man, you need people like that, right? You you need you people that recognize <laughs> that recognize what's going on with you. And I had forgotten that, man. He pointed to me in the hospital. Get mm. a therapist or I'm going to kick your blank. And he didn't say blank. He told me what he's going to kick. <laughs> Amen. So, yeah. And I, you know, I think that's what I would say to your audience. Look, stop playing. If it's too heavy, if it's too much, if it's wearing you out, if it's drowning you, get a therapist or we're going to kick you. You know, <laughs> that's, Amen. that's hey. the kind of message we need to send out here. Absolutely. Stop playing and go get some help. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's me, it's me, H-E-C-3, also known as Hampton Edward Conway III, better known as Lil' Hamp, and sometimes known as Shorty Coco. And this is the Get Fat Podcast. That's right, Get Fat, F-A-T, Freedom and Transformation. And this is where I just like to share a little bit of my personal experience and personal experiences from some others and opinions and ideas and philosophies and so on and so forth to just help you achieve freedom and transformation in your life. So I'm very excited today uh, to have a special guest. Uh, He is the pastor of Hope United Methodist Church in Southfield, Michigan, a suburb of Detroit, and also my former pastor, a good friend, uh, very wise, knowledgeable a uh, great man of God, and I'm glad and excited to have him here with us today uh, as it is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I really wanted to get into some perspectives around the intersection of faith and mental health. So without further ado, please welcome uh, the Reverend Dr. B. Kevin Smalls. Hey, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you. How are you? I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there, man. And um, really good to see you. Really good to have you. And when I thought about having this conversation, um, you were the first person that I thought of that would be great to have this conversation as a part of Mental Health Awareness Month. And I'm really looking forward to getting your perspective uh, on some things. So I'm going to fire some questions at you. um, But of course, feel free to flow, interject. you know, and, and and give your opinions and perspectives on this topic. So the first thing uh, I want to ask you is, especially particularly as someone who's a pastor leading a church, uh, you're shepherding folks, and you're someone who a lot of people, I'm sure, come to with issues and and their problems. And so, you know, as a pastor, and I know you, I'm sure you've got, training and pastoral counseling and things like that. How do you handle the multitude of things that come to you, especially if you get a feeling or, or thought that, you know what, this may be a deeper mental health issue. How do you approach that? How do you handle that? Oh, good question. So, you know, there are times that people come um, and, the kind of work they need 
uh, will require uh, a mental health professional, uh, someone that is typically certified or uh, qualified to lead a person through particular challenges and trials in life. So um, there are times that I am able to work with a person, three or six sessions, or maybe one session. Um, most of my work area is to help people through life problems that have theological intersections, um, biblical intersections, and how these things unfold in a person's life. Um, psychologists kind of do the excavation of uh, why behavior formations take place and behavior patterns in a person's life. Um, and, and they do that work to lead a person back to their childhood or back to an earlier season in their life where they were able to detect and analyze uh, experiences, trauma, uh, frameworks that help a person operate out of, out of who and why they do. So, you know, there are different kinds of things. There are sometimes medical scenarios where people need um, counseling around health issues. Then there are some mental health kinds of things where people exhibit um, mood disorders, inability to sustain um, moods and uh, concepts struggle with matters that are real and not real, um, have a hard time managing the things that happen in their mind. Those are some of the deeper kinds of conversations that, you know, uh, you want to kind of lead people to in terms of um, professional mental um, care workers in that way. So, yeah. So um, have you ever found that some folks, and I'm not sure how to word this, may be too reliant, if, if, if that's a thing, on their faith, um, or if there is a such thing, um, mm -hmm. or, or, you know, really leave it up to the church or just leave it up to prayer. And, you know, my mom, mom, mama said just pray about it and, and keep it moving. You know, do you mm -hmm. find that a lot in, in the church? Well, sometimes, you know, there are people who feel that faith um, is the substance that disintegrates the need for further and deeper analysis or, or medicine, or though they view those things as secular intervention uh, where faith in their minds is sufficient. But everybody in the world believes in counseling. Everybody. If you're driving down the street and you hear a knock from your transmission or from your engine, you're going to get counseling about it. You're going to find a mechanic that can tell you what's going on. Why? So you won't be stranded on the road or you won't be able to not get to work or something of that nature. If the pain is intense enough in your body, you're going to seek some resolution around that. Um, if if you are trying to figure out whether to go to the Bahamas or whether to go to Aruba and when is the best time, you're going to get some consultation on that. Everybody depends on some form of counseling one way or the other. So um, 
why there's such a resistance to mental health support uh, is something we have to kind of review. And I think it's stigma, you know, there's a stigma around it. If you're going to a psychologist, you're crazy. Or if you're going to a psychiatrist, you're crazy. And the truth is, if you're not going to one, sometimes you're really crazy. So it's important. Um, and I use that word carefully, um, not being facetious, but it's important um, for us to be open to the expansion of concepts. So um, if I come home, you know, I had a couple once um, and the gentleman would come home every day, go in the fridge, open up a beer, sit on the couch and watch television. He would be home before she did. So when she came home and she saw that, uh, she would be very irritated and she'd slam stuff and, you know, she'd stomp around the house. Um, and he would be like, what is wrong with you? Why are you acting so, you know, erratic in this way? But through work, they determined that her father was an alcoholic. And um, she would, he would always be, you know, angry and raging and upset in the evening. So when she came home, she didn't really see her husband. She saw her father. So her husband was a symbol of her fear that her father will represent himself in the context of their marriage. And because she didn't really know how to unpack that initially, it caused a rift between them. And fortunately, they were able to work through some of those things. But we all have nuances in our minds that are usually shaped in childhood that bleed into adulthood, that bleed into our relationships, that bleed into our work scenarios, that bleed into church. And sometimes it gives us a picture that is off or not accurate or misaligned with, with what is actually happening. So it takes um, some good effort to figure out what's going on. Why do I behave like this? Why am I thinking like this? Or why is this bothering me so? Um, and sometimes it helps to get somebody to help it, to, to help unpack and work through some of those emotions so that you can be free and learn from them and move on and perfect them. So the real goal of counseling of any kind, especially in a theological realm, the mental realm, you know, is growth. Can you grow to another level in how you engage and how you have and set expectations? And can you grow in terms of your own behavioral adjustment? That, that was a long time. No, no, that's a great answer. Thank you. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, what is your own? Well, let me back up. Uh, I remember seeing a statistic um, some time ago with respect to the rate of deaths by suicide mm -hmm. amongst clergy. Mm -hmm. um, can you speak to that at all? What, what is it about how, how, do you, how can someone reconcile? Wait a minute. This is somebody who got a super tight connection with God, right? I'm just, you know, you know, and, and yet so many of folks in this role, um, surprisingly, um, have died by suicide. Mm -hmm. uh, what is it about that role um, that, that 
could lead to something like that? Well, I think it it's not one road. It's several. No scenario, I would think, are the same. I think um, several things lead a person to that place of deep despair, and that's what it is. Um, it's very hard to know what a person sees, what a person hears, what a person feels, what a person thinks. Um, and the ministry is work, but it is not a replacement for faith formation. So, you know, that is individual work that has to be done as an individual. Um, I do the work of ministry as Reverend Kevin Smalls, but I live my life as Kevin Smalls. Um, I can't live my life as a pastor. I have to draw some kind of boundary between my work and my individual formation. Um, so I think there's the constant need to make sure you're doing that self kind of work. Um, I think also there are mental nuances that lead people, whatever the field they are, um, into those kinds of thoughts and, and those kinds of scenarios where they think that's the best solution. So it's tough. It's very hard. It's very heartbreaking um, to see anybody get to a place where they don't feel or sense that they can um, move beyond the place of deep despair where they are. The other thing is, I think the pastorate requires an enormous amount of um mental health support. So the the metaphor that I like to use around pastoring is, you know, when the airplane lands and it pulls up to the runway, um, if you notice, there are all kinds of things coming out for the air to the airport, uh, to the airplane. There's the the people that take the luggage off. There's the people that replenish the refreshments. There are people that uh, gas the plane up. There are people that may wash it down and wash it off. Um, uh, there are people who are pulling the runway to the door so people can get off. There's a lot of work that's being done on that plane when it lands. And sometimes clergy don't uh, afford themselves to this kind of work. So some of them take their roles too seriously, and they don't allow themselves to have good, healthy friendships. Uh, some of them develop harmful addictions around alcohol and drug use. Um, some of them are under extraordinary stress as a pastor, uh, especially pastoring in and after a pandemic when so much of the weight of the congregation's life um, is on you and the congregation expects you to fix stuff um, solve things uh, and grow things. So when you have to worry about budgets and um, you have to worry about whether the church is being able to make its expenses when you're trying to build teams and build staff, when you're trying to help the church achieve its missional efforts, uh, when you're trying to grow the congregation, when you're trying to manage buildings um, and repairs, uh, when you're trying to kind of get people together on the same page, uh, then you have to preach, then you have to come up with a Bible study, then you have to kind of sit with people who are having their own challenges. Uh, it's a lot. 
it's a lot. And I think you have to constantly do the work of knowing where you end and others begin. And that's my definition of a boundary. A boundary is knowing where you end and others begin. Because if that line is blurred, you're going to lose yourself. You're going to be depleted um, and you're going to be worn out. So I think in ministry, the worst thing a church can do, and I do think a church has a responsibility. Memberships have responsibilities to make sure that their pastors are being well cared for, that their pastors are shielded from unnecessary conflict, trials and tribulations. Um, pastor can't solve everything. The pastor doesn't need to know everything. And honestly, um, you know, in my ministry, I have had to make a difference with what's my problem and what's the church's problem. And some things that happen in the church, I don't own that. That belongs to the church, just like my kids. If my children have conflicts, I don't always get in those things. They have to work those things out. So I've taken the pressure from me to try to be the one to fix everything. That's that I cannot always fix everything. I can't uh, change minds. I can't make the grouchy nicer. I can't make uh, you know the passive a little more affirming uh, or assertive. I can't change personalities. Um, the church has to be a place where all of these things take place and a pastor needs to be able to navigate through those things without taking on the sense that what happens and what doesn't happen is on me. We're in it together. We have to work through these things together. My job is to help lead you to fulfill your maximum capacity. But over the years, and now that I've been doing this 30 years, there are just a few adjustments I've learned to make. You know, when I first started ministry, uh, somebody would call um, in the middle of the week and I always felt pressured to say, you know, hey, pastor, how's it going? What are you doing? Oh, I'm just sitting here working on the rolls or I'm just sitting here working on a sermon. Oh, well, you know, I'm just sitting here reading the Bible and now I'm completely comfortable. Say, hey, pastor, what are you doing? Not a thing. How are you? <laughs> I'm not doing anything. How are you? You know, so I've learned to um, not overthink things and not let people's judgments and opinions shape how I lead congregations and how I internalize my own individuality. So everybody's not going to like me or like what I do or like any pastor. Um, so in the context of that, how do you take care of yourself? How do you love yourself? How do you reaffirm the ministry that you're doing? And that's why you're really there to help people achieve ministry and not other psychological needs. So we do have pastors who go into the ministry because they want to be liked. They want to be loved. They want to be needed. They want to be affirmed. They want um, to be in front. They want to be in charge. Um, all of those are psychological nuances that often don't have anything to do with the effectiveness in ministry. So personally, this is what I keep in my arsenal. I keep a therapist who helps me think through things, um, who helps me unpack stuff. I keep a spiritual director because there are times that I have issues with God or concerns with God, I should say. And I need people to help me prayerfully and, and spiritually to connect with those things. I keep a physical trainer um, so that I can keep 
moving and make sure that my body um, is not punished by my work. I keep a mentor. I keep two types of mentors. I keep those that know me and those that don't, right? <laughs> so I make sure that I have people who've, who've pastored this type of church or mentors in preaching or mentors in administration, mentors in financial management. I'm always looking for people who can mentor me in the particular season that I'm in. Mentors, therapists, spiritual directors, by the way, they're not always permanent. As life changes, needs change, and the type of support you need change. And lastly, I keep a good dose of friendships, places where I don't have to be Reverend Smalls, I don't have to be holier than thou. Um, my fraternity is an excellent conduit for that. My college roommates, my college friends are really great for that. Some of the people I went to high school with and even elementary school who knew me before Reverend Smalls, um, I make sure that I get good doses of those kinds of things. So those are the five things that I rely on just to stay grounded and healthy. And when I start, um, here's how I know when I need to take a break. Um, when I feel like I'm really bad at what I do, um, when I don't feel like doing it, when I don't feel like preaching, when I don't feel like going to church on Sunday, those are indicators that I'm getting close to burnout. Uh, when the things that I love to do become burdensome, I'm getting close to burnout. When my patience is short and I'm getting a little cranky, I'm getting close to burnout. And I make sure that I take some time off. And sometimes all it is is a day or two or three days. I'll have my secretary, my, my team clear my calendar. And, and I also make sure that SPRC, my, my, uh, the team that is responsible for helping me fulfill my ministry in the church, um, knows that kind of dynamic. I know that after six weeks of preaching straight, I need a break sometimes. Um, I know that I can't pre-teach Bible study 52 weeks of the year without needing a break, needing replenishment. Um, so those are, I'm aware of my own indicators, you know, I'm aware of my own indicators and, um, sometimes we all have them when we, when we're attracted to going back to the past, well, I wish I had a smaller job or a less responsibility or I'm going back to my old girlfriend or I'm going back to, you know, when we are feeling like we want to be drawn back to old things, those are indicators that we're close to burnout and we're almost entering survival mode. So I think good replenishment is every six weeks and a vacation is not necessarily replenishment because you can go on vacation and come back just as tired um, as you were when you left. So I think vacation is one thing. Replenishment is another. Yeah, I appreciate that. I like that. What you keep in your toolkit. That's great advice. Um, and you started, to, you kind of tapped into what was going to be my final question. Um, so I'm going to narrow it down a little bit. But before I do, I do want to say, like, the way I framed the previous question about clergy, I definitely want to make it clear. And I, I asked it the way I asked it um, intentionally, but I do want to make it clear that by no means do I think pastors and preachers and ministers are exempt from being human. 
mm-hmm. right? You know, mm-hmm. and 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 I know that you know very often we have perceptions of certain people, and we have certain perceptions. We put people, certain people, on the pedestal, and don't don't attribute um, human characteristics even to folks when when things happen or when things go wrong or you or you see certain things, and it's like, how could this be? You know, as if they are uh, from another planet or something, but. Um, so I just want to make it clear that I, I I definitely understand that leaders and ministers and pastors and you know everybody is susceptible to everything. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. So, um, but I appreciate your answer. And what what I wanted to hone in on, you know, just to close this out, I was going to ask you about, you know, your personal relationship with therapy. Um, and so you <laughs> did touch on some. You said you keep a therapist. Um. Mm-hmm. Um, can you briefly, is there any more you can expound on about like even maybe f- your first introduction to it? Um, was it voluntary? Was it advised? You know, and then, you know, um, ha- ha- has your thoughts and perceptions of it evolved over time? What is your personal relationship with therapy? I first went to a therapist when I was maybe 10 years old. Uh, my mother took me to a child psychologist, and I loved going there um, because she had a lot of toys. <laughs> she had a lot of toys in her office. And I didn't know that the way I was playing with the toys gave her insight into how I thought. Um, so so that was that was then. And then when I got older, my mother made sure I sat with the therapist, um, and I thought, you know, she did a phenomenal job making sure that I had a strong, healthy dose of self-awareness, um, that she figured out how best to be my mother, um, uh, uh, you know, and my parent in that way. Um, so I have been um, a supporter of that because of that. Now, I honestly went through most of my adult life without therapy at all, which was horrible um, because I probably would have been a lot better off if I uh, had that relationship before. So um, I think I went to a therapist for a little bit um, in 2008, I want to say, or nine. Um, Great, great sessions, great insight. Um, then I stopped and when I lost my grandmother, I knew I had to go back. So losing my grandmother was my impetus to return to therapy, um, in 2014. And the, the work to unpack my adult life, some of my patterns, some of my thought processes, the difference between Kevin the child and Kevin the man, uh, the difference between Kevin and Reverend Smalls, um, because I I honestly lived my whole life as Reverend Smalls. I remember when I first went to, um, for example, when I first went to Queens Chapel, I made the announcement that my whole life will be dedicated, my entire being to the church, my thoughts, my, you know, And it sounded great, but that wasn't the best thing to promise. Um, 
So I just immersed myself in ministry and work. And I did, I didn't do a lot outside of parenthood, marriage and pastoring. I didn't do a lot to, to engage my own individual being. So when I got to 2014 and 2015 and lost my grandmother and my mother years before, I had the strange crisis of not knowing who I was without them. I, I did not know who I was as a person. I knew who I was as a career man. I knew who I was as a dad and all that. I did not know who I was as a person. And so I had to begin the work of recovering my personhood and to really figure out why um, I let myself go in that way. So my Instagram name was Becoming Kevin, you know, um, and now it is I am uh, Kevin, you know. So I, I had I had a way to go and a long amount of set, a lot of sessions and years just going through that work of uh, reclaiming my own individuality, my own voice, my own needs. And it's still a work in progress, in all honesty. I'm still trying to figure out life um, as an individual without my titles. So if you stripped all my titles, who's left? Who's who's there? And in 2014, I had no idea, you know, so... Um, that's kind of the work that that I invested in, and it is an investment. Some sessions you you get a breakthrough, and some sessions you don't. You know, you you. But at least in those sessions, I had that one hour where it's all about me, and I can say and talk about whatever I wanted to. Um, and there was no other place that I really could leave that kind of work to. So, yeah, that's. That's kind of um, now my my therapy sessions now are not as frequent. I am actually into some individual coaching. And that's another model that I didn't talk about coaching around certain things. Um, hopefully I'll be retiring soon. So I'm looking at that coaching as a parent, you know, folks, I got a good parental coach. Help me, you know, with parenting adult children and a uh one last kid who's about to be a senior. Um, so I'm a lifelong learner. And I think that's the work that God calls us to do, um, to continue to grow um, in what we call in Methodism, onward to perfection. But how can I be a better person? Because when I'm a better person, I'm a better partner. When I'm a better partner, I'm a better parent. When I'm a better person, I'm a better parent. When I'm a better person, I'm a better pastor. So, but it starts with me, you know, that song. How did you open up? How did you open yours up? It's me. It's me. That's <laughs> yeah. important. Right, right. That's important. You know, it's me, you know. So, yeah, that's kind of, that's my philosophy around that. I appreciate that. And I appreciate your, 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 you know, vulnerability and sharing your own experience. And so in 2014, when you had this crisis, if you will, how old were you at that point? 40, what year is this now? <laughs> I was, wait, so I was 44. 
So, and, and the reason I ask that is because here you are at 44 years of age. Um, and I just want people to understand that it's never too late to, 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 to get something right. It's never too late to transform. It's never too late to evolve. It's never too late to change, you know, and here you are at 44, um, really going through this transformation. I remember when your handle changed. I remember when it was at, at becoming Kevin. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and so I just, I think it's a great testament to um, the fact that, yes, we should all be lifelong learners. Um, we should all continue to grow. I mean, we ain't going to see perfection until we see Jesus, but we can keep striving for it, you know? And yeah. so I, I, I appreciate you and what you've shared. Um, I, I really thank you for taking the time, man. Cause I know you are a busy dude. <laughs> well, you know, I miss you, man. I miss our collaborations and. Oh, oh man. I do. I, you, it's funny. I mean, you said, you know, sometimes you got to take a break from the pulpit. I was like, Hey man, give me an excuse to come to Southfield, man. Come on up. I I I I'll jump in there and let you know and you know even if we want even if we tag team like we did that one time man that was that you was know, I nuts. Believe in that. I believe God provides these resources so you don't have to wear yourself out. I I you know I'm down for that. <laughs> yes sir, yes sir, yes sir. Yeah. All right. All right. Well again, um I thank you and I appreciate you and uh just again thank the, thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for sharing your time. And um, so, yeah, y'all, it's it's me. It's me, H-E-C-3. Um, just trying to give you a little something to chew on so you can get fat. So come on and get fat with me on the Get Fat Podcast.